Greetings, friends, and welcome to this episode of the Communication Guru Podcast, where we believe it is not always what you say, but how you say it that matters the most. I'm your host, Tim McMurtry, president and CEO of Tim McMurtry International LLC, a business consultancy specializing in personal development and training, government and public affairs, along with corporate and community relations. I'm delighted to have you join us and I thank you for your listenership and viewership of this show. As you know, our aim on this platform is to discuss nuances and insights relative to the communication continuum to help you maximize the impact and results of effective communication within your own various spheres of influence, be it your business, your relationships, and or your workplace. We're here to help you become a top-notch communicator. So be sure to like, share, and subscribe to this podcast so you can be notified when new episodes are released and are available for consumption. Now, organizational communication is humongous. We're in this day and age of people are moving, working remotely, et cetera, but communication and its importance, effective communication, has remained the same. So from communicating the vision of the leadership, making sure that it's understood by all, to giving out reprimands, as well as high praise to those you are engaged with, particularly those that are direct reports to you, et cetera, your communication style, methodology, and tactics are very, very important. Because the fact of the matter is, is that people don't quit or leave jobs, they quit people. So if you funky and foul in how you engage people, guess what? They don't have to stick around. And what the pandemic has shown us is that you can work remotely. People have options, and many of them are taking those things. So how you communicate is going to be very, very vital to the vibrancy, longevity, and effectiveness of your organization. So to this end, I am thrilled <laughs> to be joined on the show today by none other than big baller and shot caller himself, Pastor DJ Dizzle Jizzle Hines. He serves as the Chief Operating Officer at Christian Faith Fellowship Church, one of the largest congregations in the state of Wisconsin. He's also a husband, father, and entrepreneur with a client roster that includes a few heavyweights, such as NFL Hall of Famer and Super Bowl champion Charles Woodson along with Mason Mace Betha, Pastor Mason of formerly Bad Boy Entertainment. So he ain't no joke. And his client roster also is no joke either. So we're going to talk to him today about some of his communication styles as he traverses between these various worlds and fears of influence that he rolls in. So Pastor DJ, welcome to the show, man. Man, I'm so excited to be here, man. For real. <laughs> I appreciate this. Your introduction, man, I need you to send me that. Just splice <laughs> that part out so I can send that out because I've never been introduced so thoroughly and exquisitely. I appreciate that. Yes, sir. <laughs> Pleasure's all mine. Pleasure's all mine. Hey, man, so just tell us a little bit more about your background and, quite frankly, how you got involved with ministry. Sure. Well, I went to the University of Wisconsin-Madison, and I had a path to med school, actually. And I remember, like it was yesterday, that I'd taken my MCATs, and I was actually over the summer sitting in a, a big lecture hall, just brushing up on, I think it was a biology class or something. And I just remember thinking, I want to help people, but I don't know if I want to go to a hospital every day. And that was like one of those moments where it was just, you know, how sometimes you have a moment of reality that only you can connect with. 
And it's not about anybody externally. It's really about you connecting with the reality that you've just been confronted with, really. And I took that thought and I sat on it for a while. And eventually I did have a conversation with my dad. I'm like, I know I want to help people. I know I want to be effective in the lives of people. I know I want to be able to produce change, but I don't know if I want to do it through the walls of a hospital. I think I want to help in ministry. And he was like, wow, son, really? Because, you know, we have been on this track, like I said, to med school. And he said, well, I tell you what, you're young. We'll take a year and I'll start to teach you some of the ropes of ministry and how things really work. Because coming to church every Sunday doesn't really give you real insight of what it takes to operate Uh, ministry. Of 100% of ministry, coming to church part is what percentage would you say? I always tell people that that's the smallest, that's 10% really of what we do because a ministry is a Monday to Sunday operation, especially at the level that my parents established ministry on. Sunday is the gathering time, Mm -hmm. and that's the time we come together to worship. But ministry doesn't stop on Monday morning. Mm. It continues to move forward. So he was able to teach me the ins and outs and started in, in media and really grew a liking for it. And we were able to make some really cool things happen. He said, well, I'll give you a year. And if it works for me, if it works for you, then we'll talk serious about it. And man, 12 years later, I'm still in it. And it's been amazing. Wow. So that was how I got involved. Gotcha. Gotcha. So when you first dove into ministry and you said your parents established it and those of you all, <laughs> his daddy is a legend. His mama too. You know what I'm saying? It's Bishop Daryl Hines that's fast of Pamela Hines. It's, it's a little sidebar. His daddy also is the sharpest joker <laughs> <laughs> in the habitable parts of the earth. I saw him recently at an event and I told him that, hey, whatever somebody else was doing when they was putting together their outfit, all they gonna do is finish is a distant second because you gonna win a shop <laughs> every time. <laughs> So the battle is for second, and it's going to be a distant second because he number one in terms of the shot. Every time. That brother be clean on days it don't even make sense to be clean on, he be clean. And not only suits. I mean, anything you think is cool, he going to be the shot. Sweatsuits. Jean jackets. <laughs> He's still number one. one. That's who and what he is. Just so you know, Joker. Don't get it twisted. So as he was showing you the ropes, man, of ministry, when you got in there and you kind of evaluating, okay, I'm going to do the medical school thing. I'm going to be ER or Gray's Anatomy or whatever. What were some of the things that attracted you most about ministry as you got your feet wet, you know, started in media and stuff like this? Like, you know what? Okay, I'm kind of feeling this thing. What were some of the attractions to it? I think one of the biggest things for me initially was the opportunity to create. Because in working in media, we were producing all of our own television, all of our own radio, all of our own media assets, all of our own content. And this was pre-social media. So this stuff was running on television and on our website and I fell in love with that part. And again, it falls back into communication. How do we create something that communicates the message we're trying to convey and compel people to what we're doing? So I think that was probably what intrigued me the most about ministry. And then it was just the different avenues that ministry takes from going into the community and feeding people to planning large-scale events. Again, creating media assets. It was just so much more robust than I really had a clear understanding of. And I'm like, man, this is a real operation. And I was intrigued by that. And I appreciated the opportunity to just do my small part. And then the more I became involved, the more I could see opportunities to do things differently and to do things better. Now, 
of course, I was young and I didn't know how to communicate those things. Like what I would see, like, we could be doing this. I was excited at the young energy. Uh-huh. So my dad was like, calm down. <laughs> Pump your brakes. Relax. <laughs> Understand how things work for us before you get ahead of yourself. So that's really what intrigued me initially. Gotcha. Gotcha. Now, with your parents being the icons that they are, as you were getting your feet wet, establishing your own footprint in ministry, did you feel any pressure outwardly or even inwardly to live up to a particular standard and have a certain communication style based on the familiarity that people had with your parents? Yeah, most certainly. I mean, the book says to whom much is given, much is required. So I believe that to be given such amazing parents is a gift. And I believe that that requires a certain level of integrity. It definitely requires a certain level of trust. So I felt like, of course, when I'm dealing with people, we always want to represent God. But I always want to make sure that I was properly representing my parents. Not only that, I carry my dad's name. And that means more now than anything, because now that I'm getting older, we are looking a lot alike. Okay. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So not only am I Daryl Hines, but people be like, is that Daryl Hines? So I have to make sure that I'm always representing him and acting like I got some sense because because <laughs> <laughs> that's a real thing, man. That's right. a real thing, you know? So most definitely, I wouldn't call it pressure, but I definitely knew that there was an expectation. And my parents were really good about letting the congregation know, like, my boys are boys, so don't point extra heavy fingers at them. Don't put them on a the pillar. They boys, they're growing up. They're going to be boys. They're going to do stupid right. stuff they're, like your kids. They're not flawless. Yeah. So he made sure that there was that balance there. But even with that, there was an expectation to deal with people a certain way, to handle situations a certain way. And I think it just calls for my brother and I to mature a bit earlier as a result. And we were both okay with that. Nice. Nice. That's live, bro. Now, how do you balance? Now, you got the business piece. Now, you had Creative Spurt and other you know, business ventures, managing national recording artists and all this kind of stuff. First of all, since we're all bound by the same 24 hours in a day, yeah. you know, where you get that extra time from, Jonathan? Yeah. <laughs> Let us know the secret. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> and how do you balance the two? Yeah, well, I think ultimately what I had to do as I moved into more of an operational C-suite level of, of ministry, I guess that's what you would say, more of a leadership role. Uh, one of the biggest things I had to do was make sure that I trusted and depended on my team because my primary responsibility is to get the vision from bishop and pastor and to make sure that the team we have in place has a clear understanding of what that vision is. And then secondly, has the tools that they need in order to execute. So I think with those things in place, from a management standpoint, once I have the ability to say, hey, I trust my team to get that done, hey, I trust my team to deliver on that, then I can take a quick one-day business trip out of the week and do whatever needs to be done or take a quick two-day business trip and know back home things are being handled because we can trust our team that's in place. And that came with time and really understanding how to properly and effectively delegate. Because I've learned that anything of any magnitude can't be done solo. Mm -hmm. You have to have a team around you that believes in what you're doing, believes that God has called them to be a part of it. And you don't have people in place who have the skill, who have the ability, who have the talent, and then try to do their job. It's like, 
you're here for a reason. So I want to extend the liberty for you to do your job. And doing that, it really allowed more flexibility for me to continue to do things from an entrepreneurial standpoint. Gotcha. Gotcha. So as a leader, leaders of organizations have to be, you know, we've said it on the show before, both the thermometer and the thermostat. Thermometer in terms of they have to check the temperature of the team. Are people supplied with all the resources that they need to do their jobs well? Are they getting along as well as the thermostat in terms of setting the temperature? Hey, y'all acting funky in this particular area. This is how we going to do it. You know what I'm saying? Kind of be the hammer a bit. So for you, how have you been able to balance that as you are evaluating the different players on your team, watching the last dance, Phil Jackson and Michael Jordan were talking about, hey, I'm Phil Jackson, his legendary coach, Michael Jordan, the greatest player. I like LeBron James, but you, Joker, you second. You know right. what I'm saying? <laughs> Michael Jordan is 1A, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is 1B, then you. Agreed. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> no argument. <laughs> so Phil and Mike were talking about, hey, we had a Dennis Robin on our team. So we had a particular philosophy, a particular culture, but Dennis was a different dude. So we didn't manage everybody the same. If he wanted to go to Vegas for a weekend to do whatever he be doing, do that just so long as you get in the game, get us those 20 rebounds. How do you evaluate? How do you communicate with your different team members so that everybody knows that they're valued and valuable, even if you don't get down with each of them the exact same? Yeah, and that's a really good question. It starts with relationship building. I remember, I won't call his name because he's off the grid. He has no social media. He doesn't give his phone number out, but the kid is brilliant. Been working with him for probably at least eight years now. He does all of our graphic design. He does all of our media online, everything visual he does for us. And we bumped heads, man. And, and I think this is a great way to kind of give a real life scenario of what I went through. Like we really bumped heads because as a creative, and if you've ever dealt with creatives, a lot of them really, for them to create, they really need to drive to their own beat or they need to walk to their own beat of their own drum. And this was that guy. He's easily one of the most brilliant creatives that I've ever worked with. And I've worked with some really phenomenal creatives before. And I'll be like, Lot, oh, I almost called his name. I almost called his name. <laughs> he, he'd be like, you shouldn't have said my name. I'd be like, man, why you not coming in, man? Like, why you late to work? Why you wasn't in the meeting? Like, he just didn't have that office structure mm-hmm. that I was really trying to implement. Like, be at work on time, punch in on time, be in this meeting, be in that meeting. And we bumped heads and bumped heads, but nonetheless, he continued to produce at a high level. So I realized that not everyone can be managed the same way. I mean, he really taught me a big lesson in that sometimes you have to allow people to thrive the way that they can thrive. So it went from Well, Lyle, if you need to pop your laptop at home and work from home, that's cool, man. If you can't be at the meetings, just call in. You know what I mean? So some people will see that as quote-unquote favoritism, but it wasn't about that. It was about he is an integral part of what we do, and I have to make sure that I help create the environment so that he can be the best at what we need from him. And I don't want to put him in a position where he can't thrive based on restrictions that really at the end of the day 
don't matter. Oh, wow. Well, did y'all hear that? Did y'all, <laughs> the leaders, did y'all just hear that? <laughs> so, some of the restrictions we put in place are not necessarily on productivity, but they're from traditionalism. Uh. And that's something that I had to learn. And I think, of course, the world has experienced that firsthand now with everything changing due to COVID. A lot of the things that we were doing didn't matter. And we're all seeing that now. But I learned that with working with him. So, to your point, the field thing, the Phil Jackson is a great observation because that's what it comes down to. It's how do I build relationships in order to know how to get the best out of every one of my team members. And based on that, that's how they're managed. I don't like a bunch of emails. And my team knows that now. Like, I feel like I drown in them sometimes, you know? So, <laughs> so, so my team know, like... Yo, we can just text past DJ like real quick or we can just call him for a two minute conversation because I get lost in emails and that's me. You know what I mean? And that's my thing. You know what I'm saying? And I'm at my best when I don't have to spend an hour responding to emails, responding to emails, responding to emails. So everybody has their thing. And I think that once you take the time to build a relationship and it takes time take the time to build a relationship with your team, then you'll understand, hey, this person doesn't work well like that. This person works better in this situation. So that's how I've been able to do it. Now, that's very sage advice. And that example that you gave in terms of the first kind of bumping heads, you had a certain standard that you were trying to implement, but you had Mm -hmm. somebody that was cold that didn't subscribe to that standard. Exactly. Now, in some instances, I'm sure he was able to stick around because he's just the bomb and the diggity at what he does. Yeah. Other times, I'm sure there might have been some folks that <laughs> you ate the bob, so you got the go. <laughs> so I guess it's a twofold question. How do you evaluate who's worth keeping and wow. adjusting to versus that is so scram jokers <laughs> and your mama? <laughs> <laughs> and how do you communicate that? You're going to get me in trouble. Honestly, the biggest thing for me is productivity. At the end of the day, we have to be productive. And I always tell our teams, lives are at stake. Lives are on the line. This is not a game. This is not a show. This is something that we take very seriously that we've been called to do. So we have to be productive. So if you have someone that doesn't want to comply to any measure of structure and doesn't produce, then that person can't meet the requirements that it takes to do what we're doing. And I think that that's really the conversation. So like I said, with my guy, and we are like tight now, I consider him a close friend, although he doesn't want to talk on the phone. The gentleman I was telling you about before, although the whole office structure vibe wasn't his thing, he still understood the necessity to produce. So I think that's what it comes down to is, hey, we are flexible and we are willing to be flexible in how we do things. But at the end of the day, We have to deliver every time. Gotcha. Gotcha. Every time. So he was willing to work and or do work. He just worked differently. Exactly. Gotcha. Exactly. Gotcha. So given you had mentioned COVID earlier and it's uncovering of things that were essential and things that ain't essential. (laughs) How has, given like the large congregation, Christian Faith Fellowship Church, one of the biggest churches in Wisconsin, And ministry being typically an in-person kind of thing, forsake not the gathering of yourselves together, Scripture says, coming together, Sunday peace, even though ministry is a Sunday to Saturday kind of thing. How has COVID affected 
how you guys do ministry and being able to still channel the anointing and the good news of the gospel through multimedia channels? Yeah, that's a really good question. And what's interesting about that whole period is that we were gearing up to go online that year. The first thing we did was to redo our stage to give it an overhaul facelift. And once we got through that phase, then we were going to redo our production suite and get all of our gear in place. And it's amazing because we were right at the point of redoing our production suite when the pandemic hit. So with that said, we had to still make some quick pivots. And your question was, how have we done ministry? I think we had a conversation with our leadership and my parents trusted me with this transition. Because at that time, my dad's like, this is not going to last long. Everybody's thinking like a couple months, we'll be fine. So do what we have to do in the meantime. And a year later, we're still not at fully capacity yet. But there were three things that I told our team was very important for us to continue to do. The first thing was to make sure that people could receive the gospel. That was the first thing. So we had to make sure that we had the proper equipment, that we had the proper access to the proper channels and that whole thing. So that was a whole job in itself, just making sure the first thing is making sure that we can deliver the gospel. And then secondly, you wanted to make sure that we can continue to touch the community because we knew right when the pandemic hit that it was going to affect people in different ways. So we found ways to continue to feed the community. We found ways to continue to serve children in our community, so on and so forth, ways that were safe. And we wanted to make sure that people knew that we were a resource to them, even in this pandemic. And then thirdly, we wanted to create opportunities for the congregation of C to continue to fellowship outside of being able to come to church every Sunday. So those were the three things that we focused on. And we went hard at all of them to make sure people were getting the word every Sunday, every Tuesday, any special service, whether it be through YouTube, Facebook, our website. We wanted to make sure that people could hear it and people could feel it and people could see it. And then, of course, we we continued our food drives, we continued our toy drives, we continued our book drives, all of those things. And then thirdly, we created opportunities online through Zooms and special meetings to keep the fellowship part. The church name is Christian Faith Fellowship. So we wanted to make sure we kept the fellowship part. And because we focused on those three things and didn't try to do everything at once, we were able to continue to be effective in ministry and we were continue to keep people engaged and attached to the work. Nice, nice, nice. That's good stuff, man. I'm glad you kind of were able to do the necessary adjustments to be able to zero in, okay, this is what we're going to do with pinpoint precision to be able to keep the ball rolling. And from what you said, in my familiarity with Christian faith, I know the community impact is very, very important. And now that in addition to the train of COVID-19 being, let's say, the front part of the train, the caboose being, let's say, social justice with the George Floyd situation, there were kind of back and forth from some people in the community across the country as this was a global movement of racial reckoning that, hey, 
where is the church and what's the church you're going to do? And in the struggle for civil rights, Dr. King and others, the church has played a pivotal role in all justice-related matters. You know what I'm saying? Matter of fact, the whole notion of right and wrong stems from the gospel. You know what I'm saying? Judeo-Christian philosophy is you got some good, you got some bad, stop doing that bad and rock the good. What do you see the role of the church being as it relates to modern-day 21st century community issues, particularly as it relates to social justice? Well, I think first and foremost, we have to be open to the conversation. I think that sometimes churches can become over, quote-unquote, religious and that we're not willing to come to the table for social issues for political issues. And I think the church has a responsibility to social issues, to political issues, because we have a certain level of influence. Mm -hmm. And any organization that has a certain level of influence over a community of people has a responsibility to those people outside of just Sunday morning. And one thing that my parents have always said is that we want to minister to the total man. So that's why we have schools and that's why we have the financial health clinics and so on and so forth, because we want to make sure that when people leave the church, their spirituality is strong, but they can take what they've gotten from a spiritual standpoint and address the other parts of their lives as well. So I think we have a responsibility to those issues. And I think we have to be open to having those conversations. I think we have to be open to sitting with unpopular people to try to advocate change and to move the needle in the right direction. Because if we don't, then who will? If we have access to those tables, if we have access to those rooms, if we have access to those conversations, if we have access to be an influence, if we're not the ones who say, I'm responsible to do this, I'm responsible to be the voice of the people that I have an influence with, then I think we've let our community down. So I think churches have to understand that you may not see it as a faith leader. You may not see it as a tall pillar of of influence, but it is. Whether it be a small church or a large church or in between, there are a group of people who look to you as their man of God, but not only as their man of God, but they look to you to advocate on their behalf when they can't. And I think that that's a huge responsibility we have. Yeah, yeah. I agree. I share in that philosophy. And I think that there's a notion of seven mountains and seven mountains are every society has these seven pillars that drive society. No matter whether you're in America, Russia, continent of Africa, wherever, you have these seven pillars and they include religion, education, government, family, arts and entertainment, media, business. Yes. And the Bible talks about how The whole purpose of the church, you know, Jesus gave gifts to men, you know what I'm saying, for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. Sometimes the leadership is tasked and expected to, you got to do all this. Hold on, hold on. My job is to equip you to be doing the work. So in this day and age now of folks doing their own thing, I'm grown, I can do what I want to do, et cetera, how does the gospel message get out to the individual that's not necessarily aiming for the five-fold ministry? I ain't trying to be no evangelist, prophet, da, 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 but I'm the bomb in my workplace or in my business. How can they see that 
area as their pulpit, so to speak, and to do what they do under the auspices of, hey, I have the kingdom in me, and I put that kingdom influence in what I do, even if I'm not at the church preaching. Turn to your neighbor and say, yeah. Most definitely. I mean, I don't want to keep saying that's a really good question, but you do a great interview, by the way. Just so you know, you really, really do. I've been interviewed by a lot of people and you do a really good job. Thank you, man. But there's a scripture that says, let your light so shine before men Mm -hmm. that they may see your good works and it may glorify your God in heaven. So I think that's what it comes down to. And for me, I used to get asked by a lot of people, you know, how do you work on the secular side of the industry? How do you work in a secular music? And that whole conversation and my light doesn't shine as bright when I'm in the gospel industry. It just doesn't. And when I was in the secular industry, I would be in a studio with some of the biggest names in music, biggest producers, writers, and so on and so forth. And every now and again, someone would tug on my jacket and say, hey, what's up? You different. What's up with you, man? Like, you know what I mean? Like, and I would find myself counseling people back into their marriages. Wow. I would find myself counseling people away from a lifestyle that was leading to destruction. And it wasn't because I was running around waving a big banner of Christ. Jesus is the answer. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) But my light was able to shine because regardless of what people say, people can see the difference. They can see the difference. And when people have been immersed in darkness for so long and they've been around people of darkness for so long and someone comes in the room that has come from a place of light, who is walking in a place of faith, who is really walking with God, they can see that. Mm. And they may not say anything right away, but they see it. So to that person, I say your responsibility is to let your light shine. Mm. And you're not responsible for who does ask or who doesn't ask or who does want to know. You're not responsible for that. The Bible says, let your light shine. That means we have to walk in love. Mm -hmm. We have to walk in love. Yeah. And we have to do right by people. And people will see the difference, like something's different about you, and they will want to know your Christ. So that is your ministry. I mean, I feel that way because when I'm doing things in other business spaces, I don't carry the title pastor. I carry the title pastor at Christian Faith Fellowship Church. That is my title and responsibility to that ministry. But if I'm going out and I'm doing a deal with whomever, I'm not pastor, I'm DJ Hines. Mm -hmm. So the pastor doesn't attract people to God because they don't necessarily know that side of me, right? They know DJ Hines is at the table and we're doing business. So even for me, that's always my goal is just to be Christ-like in how I deal with people. Keep my word. Listen, because like, man, that's one of the biggest things about entertainment that threw me off guard is people's lack of ability to simply keep their word. Really? That basic? Oh, my goodness. (laughs) I would be so thrown by like, wait, you said you (laughs) that you were going to do this by ABC. So people's word entertainment can become very thin. So I'm like, okay, when I say something, I need people to know that I'm really for real about Mm -hmm. saying what I'm going to do and I'm going to do what I'm going to say. And just those little differences, integrity. Yeah. So yeah, man, I think that that's part of what we have to do. Yeah. Let our light shine. Yeah. Just kind of wrap it up here. I don't want to monopolize your time today. 
the juxtaposition between ministry and the entertainment world, how do you, as you move in those various spaces, one of the things that's been really intriguing to me when I would watch, let's say, secular artists, you know, the church has been indoctrinated to, hey, you know, separate yourself, come from among them, et cetera, et cetera. That part has been really emphasized, but the go ye into all right. <laughs> that's been not really talked about. So the church is really supposed to go to all these places in the world. And as you said, let the light so shine. Over the last 10 or 15 years in America, I know that church is global, but for the sake of this conversation, in America, the church has gone through some ebbs and flows with regards to its perceived relevance. You being in the throes of ministry leadership, as well as being deeply ensconced in entertainment, you see a bunch of different things. I would see artists that were secular, but before they go on stage, Lord, give us the strength. So there's a recognition that God is real. You know what I'm saying? I might not be a Bible carrier, but I know. know. How do you see the church being able to maximize its relevance, even if it gets down in a different way because we're in this 21st century now, age of technology, information age, et cetera, et cetera. How does the church maintain its anchor as a pillar for folks, even if it's done differently? Yeah, that's really good. And I think the first thing, it starts with the leadership. And when I say that, I mean this, the Bible and the word of God, as we know, does not need to be made relevant. It is and has been and will forever be relevant (laughs) because it is the living word. So we don't have to try to make the Bible relevant, but I think sometimes leadership has to know when it's time for their season. My grandfather was a pastor. He had a season and he had a responsibility to a generation of people. And you'll see the same thing in the Bible. My dad, He has his season and he's responsible to a generation of people. My brother, who will be his successor, will have his season. And I think that if the man of God or woman of God, if they hold the microphone past their season, then we run the risk of losing that generation. Because I firmly believe, and without getting too deep, I firmly believe that God keeps certain things sealed in his word to be revealed to that next generation. So if you look at my grandfather's teaching and you look at my dad's teaching, there's certain revelations that were sealed for my dad. And if you look at my brother when he ministers, there's certain things that are revealed to him that weren't revealed to my father. So I believe that God works through seasons, through leadership. So it's not about keeping the word relevant. That is relevant. It's about leadership, understanding that my season has come and it's time for me to pass it on. And I think that's how we, so it's not about production. It's not about smoke and lights and all of those things are cool and they're fun. And I think they're engaging and I think they create an experience. But if you're out of season, none of those things matter. (laughs) (laughs) A whole word. Well, He just killed that with that. The interview was over. <laughs> Yo, see, the question is, <laughs> is it your season? <laughs> That's the question. 
<laughs> on that, I'm going to wrap it up with this because it's over. He done dropped the mic and mashed potatoed it after he dropped it. So with you being in leadership man, in these different spaces, what if you could describe, and however you want to describe it, what do you want your leadership legacy to be? Man, let me take a moment to think about that. Because my mind is not on legacy right now. My mind is still on building. I would say from a leadership standpoint, the first thing I want people to remember is that I led my home well first. Mm-hmm. And that I wasn't trying to put everyone else's business in order and mine at home was out of order. So I want people to know that I led my home well. I have three children, 11, 8, and 4, a boy and two girls. Been married 15 years, coming to September. And I believe in leading my home is my first ministry. And then secondly, I think as a leader, I want people to know from a legacy standpoint that I truly have a heart for the progress of people. That's really what drives me from ministry, from business. I believe I'm called to see someone else thrive. I believe that that's my role in the earth, that God has to position me so that the next person or the next people that I'm responsible to can thrive. So that's how I would like to be remembered. Gotcha. The great enabler. Amen. Amen. <laughs> yes, sir. I feel you on that one. So how can people get in contact with you if they want to reach out, listening, you know, viewing, say, hey, you know what? That it really was dropping some gems, man. I would like to, you know, reach out to him. Yeah, most definitely. I love Twitter. And I know Twitter might be kind of old school, but I hit me up on Twitter and my DMs. I'm at DJ Hines on Twitter, at DJ Hines on Instagram. I'm one DJ Hines on Facebook. So I'm on LinkedIn, DJ Hines. If you put DJ Hines in any of those <laughs> social media, you'll find me. Right. In other words, Google him, Joker. Though <laughs> <laughs> so he's in this season of Twitter, Google him if you want to know. <laughs> God bless you. Anything you want to leave with our listeners as we close it out today? Yeah, I just, what I would say is that during this time, it's so important that we embrace the change. Mm. Embrace the change. Sometimes when we're trying to make big changes in our organization, it comes with a lot of resistance. And that's expected because people get comfortable and people can become complacent in their comfort. So change pulls people out of their comfort and it pulls people out of their complacency. So with the changes that we're experiencing and with the changes that we have experienced, for me, it's been determined to embrace them. And what does that mean? That means, well, things were like this, but because they aren't anymore, let's embrace how they are and how they will continue to be. And I think that in embracing the change, it can be the catalyst to the next for you. It can be the catalyst to the next for your career, the catalyst for the next for your business, the catalyst for the next for whatever it is that you were hoping and aspiring to do. Resisting the change only keeps you behind time. Mm, 
<laughs> this joker got bars. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> he, he got bars. So, hey, man, thanks so much for joining us today. Y'all heard it. You know, the question is, is it Joe's easy? <laughs> and the answer is embrace the change. Yes, so, sir. Thanks so much, man, for dropping the insights and gems you did on us today, man. This was the bomb. This was the bomb. Appreciate it, man. This is great. I enjoyed myself. Thank you so much, man, for real. My pleasure, man. My pleasure. Well, folks, thanks for listening in today. Remember to like, share, and subscribe to The Communication Guru Podcast. The Communication Guru Podcast. The Communication Guru Podcast. Also be on the lookout for the Morning Tenspiration Vlog, which are inspirational words to give you a little pick-me-up during your week. You can find them LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram. Just check them on out and put a little wind behind your sails. And finally, if you have a communication issue that you'd like to work through or mitigate, feel free to drop me a line at tim at timmcmurtryinternational.com, tim at timmcmurtryinternational.com, tim at timmcmurtryinternational.com with a brief description of what your issue is, and we can hop on a discovery call to see how we can best address that challenge for you. Well, thanks so much again. I appreciate your viewership and your listenership. Until next time. Blessing and increase to you. Bam.